Stephen Pritchard with us again as usual for Thursday Finance. And Stephen, currencies, commodities, petrol prices? Ah, there's red ink everywhere except for the fuel price in Newcastle. Yeah, I thought as much. Uh, so <laughs> okay. the, gold, the gold price was down $12.48 cents an ounce to uh, $1,998 an ounce, which is just back below $2,000 an ounce. Uh, the copper price was down $21.33 to $8,383 a tonne, and the crude oil price was up $4.77 to $95.77 a, a, a barrel. Um, and the currency is lots of red ink. Um, the Australian dollar was down was down to 69.65 US cents, so that's down half a cent on the week um, against the US dollar. Um, against the Great British Pound, we're 55.67 euro, uh, f- pence, pence, pence. pence, which is down as well. And against the euro, we're 61.86 euro cents, which was down about 0.38 cent, uh, euro cents. Mm-hmm. So, so... Uh, uh, currency is worth less. Um, That's only if you're uh, spending it overseas. <laughs> only you're spending all your importing stuff, yeah. Yes, that's true. And um, the equities market, so we're all poor here again as well. The All Ordinaries was down 23.2 on the week to 6,777. It's still uh, pretty well up there, isn't it? No, it's, in comparison there. it's still not that far year. from our fall. Yeah, you know. Yes, yes, but still fairly was, okay. Someone was talking a couple of weeks ago about getting 7,000 before long. Oh, so that but anyhow, um, the S&P 500 was down 2.8 on the week to 2,993. Um, the UK FTSE index was down 72.9 on the week to 7,530. So we're, we're, we're around the world, we're... We're a bit poorer this week. Um, locally, um, some stocks people like um, BHP was $40.96, which was down 89 cents on the week. BHP's had a good run. I mean, it was only the beginning of June. It was $37, so you're still up $4. Um, CBA, CBA was down 33 cents to $81.24. And NIB fell for the first time in a long time to $7.88, which was down 8 cents. So NIB, NIB is up almost $1.20 since the beginning of June. So so anyone who got their share is from the original flight. Doing well. Uh, doing well, especially if you've got, what, 6,000 shares. You've now got... Um, Quite a lot. $45,000. Um, and Telstra was up one cent to $3.87. Uh, the fuel prices, Jane said, yeah. because she's been driving here, there and everywhere, <laughs> is up six cents a litre to a dollar forty-seven point two. And in Sydney, it's down ten cents a litre to a dollar twenty-eight point two. Oh, well, so ours might drop. Do you think they'll follow Sydney? There's a 19 cents. Big difference there. Big, Big difference. difference, yeah. Yeah, so there's not much you can do about that except bring up the oil companies and complain, I imagine. Um, the diesel price in Newcastle's a dolly at 48.6, which is down 20 cent, uh, 0.2, 2 cents, sorry. And the Sydney is a dollar 45, which is down 0.2 as well. Yeah, that's a little bit more in the uh, same ballpark. Yeah, 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 a couple of cents different. So yeah, a, 20 cents a litre is a big difference. Well, 19 cents a big difference. Very big. And you were the first one to spot that. As soon as I walked in, Jane <laughs> said the fuel sure. price is up. I'm sure I'm not the only one as well. This is Thursday Finance and time for our market update with Henry Jennings, who is Senior Market Commentator at Marcus Today. Over to you, Stephen Pritchard. Henry. Good afternoon, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. You're in downtown Melbourne. I am in downtown Melbourne. You're right. Uh, Teaching um, those Melburnians a thing or two. (laughs) Yeah, 
Yeah, it's a bit cold and windy down here, I have to say. But uh, there you go. Only bit, for a couple of days. Yeah, well, it's cold and windy here, but I bet you it's colder and windier down there. Uh, yeah. Yep. 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 So, it reminds me of London. Oh, OK. okay. <laughs> Feeling at home there, Nate. In the summer yeah, or and, winter? And from Silver Black as well. Very at home. In the summer oh. or winter in London? Uh, that's, this is a summer's day in oh, London. Good. Okay. 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 <laughs> so, Vegas. Vegas is not having too good a summer's day. I mean, uh, they're now having to refund sixteen thousand of their uh, Dodo internet customers because of false advertisements, and mm. that's caused the ACCC is now going to look at all the telco companies. Yeah, I've got to say, I also saw something today um, saying that 5G in Australia is actually slower than 4G, um, whereas everywhere else it's significantly faster. So we do seem to have drawn the short straw with our internet connection at the moment with the NBN. Um, and Vocus, you're right, they, um, Dodo was selling plans that apparently said, according to Rod, Rod Sims, they were perfect for streaming. Unfortunately, they only allowed you to stream about 10 gigabytes, and the speeds were so woeful, you would have had the spinny thing going and the um, buffering for so long. So um, they're in trouble for um, misleading um, customers with their adverts. I mean, perfect for streaming is not 10 gigs unless you want to stream more than two or three movies a month. So, um, yeah, I guess, um, you know, this is remains to be um, one of the biggest gripes in um, Australia is, um, is our internet speeds. Well, the wrong infrastructure's been installed. That's what the real problem is. Yeah, don't uh, get me started. Yes, we know, get... we, don't, we know. But I mean, apart from that, you know, you would have thought a large company like that wouldn't make such obvious mistakes. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it's just inexcusable. It is, it is, but let's face it, we've seen through the Royal Commission that large companies mm. um, do make many mistakes, and mm. uh, they're not immune to making mistakes. They just, I guess, in large companies, you can hide uh, to some extent, can't you? Things get done. It's and, all done uh, by the committee. We don't know who yeah, was and, and no, Yeah, we don't know who finally decided. No one knows. No one takes responsibility, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh. Yeah, so something interesting is happening in the food sector. I mean, this 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 company that we thought had all sorts of problems. Someone someone wants to buy it now, retail food group, and apparently all this leaked out, and the share price went up before it was all announced. And so, ASIC's yeah. going to do something. Well, that's that would be good, wouldn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is retail food group. These guys own uh, things like Crust and Gloria Jeans. Actually, I had a Crust pizza last night. It wasn't too bad. And you know I'm a pizza snob. Yeah. Um, it wasn't too bad. But, um, yeah, retail food group, they've been in um, they've been in serious problems. Let's face it, there's, there's plenty of franchise companies out there that have been in, in serious strife for underpayment or for the way they handle their uh, franchisees and, and uh, retail food groups got down to 20 cents so it's 20 cents at the moment it got down even lower than that before it bounced as rumors emerged that uh, someone was looking at um, some sort of deal um, it appears at the moment at least that the deal is more around um, some sort of debt facility and uh, making it so that these guys can fight on because um, that was one of the issues with the company is that the share price was getting so low the profits were getting whacked so much that uh, it would breach all its covenants and end up in administration. So it looks like there's a white knight at least lurking, 
Um, whether that's, um, that white knight is tilting at windmills uh, remains to be seen, but uh, did enough to perk the share price up. And the company didn't say much about it until it, it hit the, the financial review, which had a big article about this. And then they fessed up and said, oh, actually, you know what? The media's right. We have been in talks and we have been in discussions and they're pretty far advanced. So, mm, yeah, I not, not, not great corporate governance, is it? Which explains why the stock's really only 20 cents. Mm, well, of course, I wouldn't have thought you could buy anything in any of their shops for 20 cents, but nevertheless. Probably not. Probably no. not. But I hope it's no. not a white knight like the one that's assisted um, Blue Sky. <laughs> And down at Villa World, someone's agreed to buy that for two dollars thirty-four a share. Yeah, I mean, it, there's, there's a lot of money sloshing around at the moment. There's a lot of deals on the table. Um, private equity has been raising uh, money left, right, and centre, and it's um, it's really happy to buy things. And uh, that's kind of unusual because private equity usually is kind of vulture-like, and they mm-hmm. tend to look for distressed assets. You could argue that Villa World has been uh, under a little bit of a cloud. Um, but uh, it looks like they're going to be going out the, the door with a new owner and being delisted. So um, that looks like it could be a, a dunnish deal, to, mm. to say the least. So, but there is a lot of these deals around at the moment, a lot of um, a lot of money, and the market's at all-time highs, a lot of deals being done. Mm. And speaking of deals that are done but might need to be undone, or so some of the shareholders were worth a, a kind of pressuring them to get an independent review of the demerger of Endeavour Drinks and uh, mm. AHL. So what, what's behind all that? Well, I, this is a pretty significant deal, isn't it? Woolies, yep. uh, for, for the background, Woolies own a bunch of pubs and uh, pokey machine businesses and Dan Murphy's and BWS and all those sorts of businesses. So they're packaging it all up into a big company called the Endeavour Group, and they're going to spin that out of the main company. So if you want to invest in Woolworths, you can just buy the supermarket exposure. If you want to invest in pubs and uh, alcohol and uh, and pokies, then you'll be able to buy into the Endeavour Group. Now, the, the market's not sure yet, and Woolies is not um, not firmed up how it's going to do this, but it is going to do it. It's going to demerge it, whether that's through. Um, they've talked about just uh, similar, I guess, to what uh, West Farmers did with Coles. So it is a bit of sort of monkey see, monkey do in some respects that uh, they're just going to copy the West Farmers model. Um, they're probably going to end up with a uh, probably a percentage, a bit like they did with Coles for West Farmers. Um, so they do have some uh, skin in the game still. But there are a bunch of shareholders that do want an independent review and a report done uh, for the meeting so that people can get an idea of the valuation which has been proposed to be around uh, 10 billion is the number I've heard of, but that's a nice round figure, isn't it? Um, so there, there, there are people pushing for this independent report on the uh, on the new business, but as yet, Woolies have not uh, said that they will, but it's going to be interesting. So you're going to have West Farmers and Woolies and Coles and the Endeavour Group. Mm, I mean, if the shares are just going to be distributed free to shareholders, um, I don't know why we need to waste money on independent reports. Well, that, that is that is a good point, Stephen. You're absolutely spot on there. But there has been uh, rumours that it would be uh, not just a straight distribution. Mm. There has been some talk that maybe it would be even a trade sale um, or even um, some sort of IPO. So, mm. um, yeah, we're still yet to, to really get the finalised plans and shareholders are going to be voting on it. So, um, yeah, you're right, though. But if they are just going to do what uh, West Farmers did, it is probably uh, not really 
worth wasting the money given that you know, a lot of people have poured over the Woolies numbers anyway so you just got to sort of take out a bit and put it over on one yep. side and say that's you know, you've got bit. the same economic interest that you had before yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. so APRA APRA's decided to lower their capital targets <laughs> for banks yeah finally um, APRA finally woken, woken up to the real world and the real world is that interest rates are at record lows across the globe and likely to stay that way. Now, Now, APRA had a, this ridiculous policy in place where banks had to stress test their potential uh, borrowers with um, loan rates above 7%, 7 to 7.5%, um, which is a massive amount above where they currently are. And g- given this one, this is an absolute classic, Stephen, in, if, you were, if you were the Germans and you were issuing a 100-year bond, mm-hmm. the yield would be 07 percent mm-hmm. so in this world of massively low interest rates APRA have now finally come to the party and said well instead of having this seven and a half percent buffer level that you have to justify and be able to pay we are going to be more sensible and we are going to reduce that to basically two and a half percent above the current mortgage rate. So if the mortgage rate, for argument's sake, is 3.5%, then APRA will stress test you at 6%. Now, what this does do is it does free up credit. It does enable borrowers to borrow more. And, of course, the fact that borrowers could only borrow less was one of the significant factors in the property market falling out of bed because if you can't borrow enough, you can't pay enough. And now, of course, if you can borrow more, then that hopefully will turn the property market around. It certainly has stabilised. And as a result, we could see some consumer confidence creep back in and the economy uh, sort of pull out of its um, current trajectory, which is not particularly bullish. So finally, APRA have sort of woken up to this, and it was a little draconian. Uh, My man on the street, my man on the Clapham omnibus, a friend who's a mortgage broker, um, tells me that the banks are still uh, making people jump through some serious hoops in terms of uh, documentation and the minutia of their spending habits. But at least we've got a step in the right direction to ease up that all-important credit, which um, has um, has been somewhat stifled. The spending, the spending habits thing, that's all being driven by ASIC because of that Westpac court case. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so ridiculous because at the end of the day, if you haven't got a mortgage, your spending habits are going to be significantly different to when you have got a mortgage. You know, if, if you're out every night and having dinners and doing stuff, then, you know, that's going to change when you have your own place and you, you're sitting there um, cooking it. Night, but home. Yeah, I mean, what we got, we've got now is that the banks have got to make sure that you're not lying to them, and and and, and you know you're not fudging up documents. I mean, how they're supposed yeah. to do that, I don't know. Well, I, I think I think in the past we've seen too much uh, laissez-faire and too much um, uh, sort of the banks turning a blind eye to stuff just to get the loans out the door. And uh, more recently, we've gone completely the diametrically opposite and gone completely the other way in that uh, they're they're draconian in the way, and somewhere in the middle must be the right solution, Mm -hmm. surely. That must be the DS solution to this, Mm -hmm. but anyway, we'll see. Anyhow, so 
lithium, uh, the lithium miner Pilbara Minerals has, has signed a deal with the Great Wall Chinese motor car manufacturers mm. to sell them some kind of concentrate that I can't actually pronounce. Um, don't, don't even go there. Don't go. And, yeah, <laughs> we know it's a key vehicle for electric, a uh, key mineral for electric vehicles. So, mm. so the, the problem is that electric vehicles sound all really well and good, and Tesla's blazing a trail, and the German car manufacturers are blazing a trail. But they are, let's face it, they are expensive, not just to buy, but they're really expensive to produce. The technology that goes into them is very expensive. Um, And, of course, the big hope was that China would be uh, buying these like, they're going out of fashion. But unfortunately, because the Chinese economy has been slowing down um, and car sales generally have been slowing down, this is not really coming to fruition. What what has been happening is they're buying lots of electric motorbikes, apparently, I hear, um, from, uh, from watching some reports on TV. But uh, at the moment, the lithium prices are down and very much on the nose. The, the whole sector has been under pressure for some time, oversupply and under demand. Uh, having said that, we did have a rare bright spot when um, Kidman Resources uh, was bid for, which is not a lithium player, uh, was bid for by um, West Farmers. So um, there is some appetite out there, but at the moment you have to look through a very, very long and deep valley to see the, the green grass and the nice pastures on the other side um, when demand does pick up. Yeah, I, I remember a while back one of those those uh, electric motorbikes actually caught on fire. Yeah, yeah. That? Well, they're, they're, and it's not just the motorbikes. Yeah. They overcharged it or something. Yeah. yeah, but having said that, there's plenty of cars that have gone up in flames. Yeah. Normal petrol cars, yeah, diesel yeah. cars. Yeah. yeah. And um, just one last thing: the Chinese still make a surprise, surprise run happy about rising iron ore prices and mm. they're going to do something but I don't know what they can do except not well, buy this, this, Yeah, I mean this was the big story last last Friday um, when it first popped out at a conference of the Chinese Steelmakers Association um, wanted the authorities to look at uh, price manipulation and speculation in the iron ore market. As a result, the iron ore price dropped 6-7%. Um, Monday and Tuesday, it kind of found its feet and pushed back up again. It's back where it started. So there is, there is no doubt there is a lot of speculative activity happening in the iron ore market. But the, the, the principal reason for the strength of the iron ore is that the production coming out of Brazil has been massively impacted by the dam uh, tragedies that we've seen from Samarco and Vale. Um, and it is not coming back online as quickly as people thought. And it's been pretty hard for BHP, Rio, and even Fortescue to ramp up production to fill that gap. Um, and not that they'd want to. Why would you want to? Why would you spend extra capex to ramp up production um, when you're already getting massively inflated prices anyway? If you, if you hit the production button, you might just spend a lot of money and end up with the same result because the prices would come down. So... Um, it's um, it's an interesting one. It could all finish in the in the stroke of a pen with a court in Brazil saying, "Hey, you know what? Open them all or close them forever." So who knows? But at the moment, iron ore is a very bullish uh, part of the uh, commodity cycle. So um, that looks like it's going to continue for some time. But it's mm. not easy to get this extra production into the system. Yeah, yeah I imagine mine's tough. good for the economy, though. Good for. Good for our economy. Good, good for, for our, our economy, yes. Good for government Scott tax collections. Scott rubbing his hands together in glee. Mm, BHP share prices has gone up. Yeah. Rio's over 100. 
Yeah, it's um, it's 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 good, and that's that. You know, that's really part of the reason why we're seeing our market knocking on the door of uh, all those all-time highs again, because we've been so strong in those key iron ore stocks, and although the banks, which is a big part of the market, have been lagging somewhat, um, you know, they, they've held up enough to. Um, to, uh, to to keep the market bubbling away, so it's it's yeah all time highs uh, within within striking distance, I guess. It's a question where where you go from there, but yeah, that's probably for another day. Okay, probably for another <laughs> week, Henry. You'll be back in Sydney another next week. week. I'll be back in Sydney next week, and be lovely to talk to you from Sydney. Okay, thanks, Henry. Thanks, Stephen. Henry Bye. Jennings, who is senior market commentator at Marcus today, and our market update. Well, we're going to take a look at investing overseas, aren't we? <laughs> yes. Yes, we are, Jane. Is this an easy thing to do? Um, it's getting easier and easier, actually. Um, more, more and people are, uh, it, it, you know, there's becoming more and more options to invest overseas. And some of the reasons you um, would normally Might. look at best investing overseas. Right. Reasons uh, for doing it. Uh, there, um, there's different. There's a number of different industries that are available in overseas markets that aren't here, <laughs> like so, car building, like <laughs> car manufacturing <laughs> that should be available here. Um, um, pharmaceutical uh, industries are, are one of you know most of the big um, international pharmaceutical companies are, are based in. Uh, surprisingly, a number of the big ones are based in Switzerland. Um, and the US, and, and they're not generally available here. There's a few small ones here, but none of the big the ones that have the blockbuster brands. There, Switzerland, UK, US mainly, um, and high tech companies such as Microsoft, um, Google, Facebook. They're all they're all time for overseas investments. So, as Australians are, are looking further abroad, um, and as this pool of superannuation money becomes a bit more adventurous, um, people are looking overseas for other alternative options. So that means fund managers as well. Yeah, fund managers, um, and of course, like everything else. Um, one of the big things it does actually also provide some diversification to your portfolio on a market level because the international markets don't all generally move exactly the same. Like, you know, the US market's been at record highs for quite a while now and Australia's just starting to catch up. So so the US market will probably fall before the Australian market. So by, by, by investing in various markets around the world, um, you, you can kind of smooth out the equity performance of your portfolio. But, of course, these things all aren't straightforward, as nothing else is. You're also taking on a lot of additional risks here that you mm-hmm. need to think about. And the first one is, your, of course, your currency risk. Um, you know, if you invest overseas and the currency goes up in value, the Australian dollar goes up in value, you, you're going to make a loss on that US investment or whatever country it's in that the, the, the currency moves against. And conversely, if, if it's happening what's like happening now, the Australian dollar's drifting down, your overseas investments generally become worth more money. So you need to factor in your your, your currency movements and, and what you think is going to happen there. Um, and of course, if you go into some of the um, emerging markets or the, the markets that are in um, third world countries, they're, they're not quite the same as Australia, you need to factor in um, more political risk and regulatory risk and economic risks that, than we have here. And, and so there are other regulations in other countries yeah, that might be I pertinent. Mean, particularly in, in countries like um, 
like, you know, if you invest in the US and the UK and Switzerland and, and those Eurozone countries, um, you know, things are pretty stable. They've been done the same way for 100 years. But, you know, you go into some of these third world countries like, like you know, Brazil, Russia, China, um, India, these emerging type companies, um, regulations can change, political risk can change. Um, you know, the government could decide, as as they did in India at one stage, uh, that all the the notes above a certain value we're just going to cancel. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, so no what's compensation. A rupee notes or something. They yeah. said they're all held by criminals, so we'll cancel all those. They did that, didn't you? So, you know, you need to be aware of the political risk and, and have a, a view on that when you go into these, into these foreign, um, particularly, the, particularly the emerging companies markets. I mean, there's plenty of money to be made in there, but it's also high risk. Um, and, you know, you need to think about the taxes as well. Um, and particularly if you're going to invest in the US, they've got that dreaded WBEN form that no one in Australia knows how to fill out so um, that's that's an issue so what can you invest in overseas you can invest in very similar to products to here cash fixed interest shares and property and infrastructure assets um, and how you can go about it um, this is where it becomes a bit more complex um, a number of the larger broking firms um, allow you to well most broking firms now will allow you to invest overseas directly. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, Is that a problem with transferring funds, say, to buy things or not? Uh, usually not. The breaking firm will do it for the, you. Okay. I mean, we'll, we'll do that. Um, mm. So I assume everyone else will do that. Um, but you are, you are adding a number, uh, another layer of risk. Yes. Um, you're earning another relay of risk there. You've got the car- – and costs because you're going to pay the spread on the transfer of the currency overseas. Yes. Um, and also a lot of markets, if you're doing direct investment, aren't kind of like Australia. Like in the U- U.S., uh, the U- U.S., it's a lot of the stuff still certificated or held in street name. It becomes a big problem when you go to sell. UK is certificated a lot of extent, so it means you get a certificate. You've got to hold on to the certificate. If you lose the certificate, it's, it's a problem. Um, the other or way is indirect investing um, through uh, exchange-traded funds. Um, there's a range of exchange-traded funds now listed on ASX where you can just simply buy into these, these US markets and the, whatever markets are listed there, just like you buy... Um, an ASX exchange trader fund, okay. Australian one. So okay. they're probably the simple simple mm. and most direct solution. And then, of course, there's managed funds. So managed funds will often give you exposure to individual countries. So there's lots of options, and they've all got pluses and minuses. The most complex one, though, is usually the direct investing. So that's the one you need to really know what you're doing. That's the one you really need to know what you're doing. And, and you, you know, particularly on some of the online trading platforms, bear in mind that the prices are quoted in a different currency as well. Um, so that's where the currency <laughs> yeah, movement... Yeah, so they'll quote the yeah. price in the, in, the, in the UK market or the US market, whichever market. Um, and, and, and that'll be, say, $10, say, and you'll think, well, that's $10, but that's $10 US, which is probably around about $15 Australian. So so you know, if you're working out how much you're going to spend, just make sure that the price you, you're quoting, what, what currency it actually is in, and convert it back so you actually know. 
Yeah, and the taxation issues, the taxation issues can be an issue. Can be different, can Can be be complex as well. Can can be complex. So, um, yeah, (laughs) but it is a lot easier than it used to be. It's a lot easier than usually. The simple way, I think, would be an Australian domiciled ETF or uh, an Australian domiciled managed fund. I mean, Mm. if if you want to start out, they're the two ways I'd go. Well, thank you very much, Richard. And we'll be talking finance, Thursday finance, next Thursday after the midday news on 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.